0: It's Friday, May 19th, 2023, and this is Markets Daily from Coindesk. I'm Adam B. Levine, here again with your Daily News Roundup. On today's show, we're talking Bitcoin, banking, the latest headlines, and more. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Bitcoin, Ether, and most other risk assets are higher from our Wednesday show, and markets trading mixed to lower on the day. The crypto market remains relatively risk-averse this morning, with the focus turning to an impending speech from Fed Chair Jerome Powell following hawkish comments yesterday by other central bank officials. In traditional markets, the dollar index pulled back to 102.3 from the two-month high of 103.62, That index, by the way, compares the dollar against other government-issued currencies. And futures tied to the Wall Street's tech-heavy Nasdaq index have signaled a flat open, although we talk about that more a bit in the next update. Treasury yields, of course, that's for U.S. government debt, rose alongside an increased probability of the U.S. central bank delivering another 25 basis point interest rate hike next month, in hopes they'll keep investor risk appetite under check. The yield on 10-year government debt rose to 3.67 percent, that's the highest since mid-March, and takes its weekly increase to 20 basis points by itself. The two-year yield, by the way, also clocked in a two-month high above 4%, at 4.08% to be precise. Recently, Bitcoin has increasingly decoupled from the NASDAQ and has moved in tandem with gold, which tends to move in the opposite direction of bond yields. Earlier in May, markets were confident that the Fed would pause its liquidity tightening cycle and pivot to rate cuts later this year. That's a story that they're still telling themselves, but it's something that the Fed hasn't been saying, even as the damage that they've clearly done is becoming increasingly obvious. That confidence, however, seems to have been shattered yesterday, after St. Louis Fed President James Bullard advocated for higher interest rates. And Dallas Fed President Lori Logan said that the data at this time does not support a pause in the tightening cycle. Hawkish comments from Fed officials and the first decline in continuing unemployment rates below 1.8 million in two months boosted U.S. rates and the odds of a June rate hike rose to about 37 percent, said Mark Chandler, chief market strategist at Bannockburn Global Forex, in a daily market update. Continuing, this represents a near tripling of the probability in the past week, end quote. We don't have time to go into it today, but it is worth noting that those jobs numbers have been fishy for quite some time. Notably, they have been materially revised downwards in subsequent months, following a record setting run of some 12 consecutive better than expected initial reports. So, again, take this all with a grain of salt, but it means that they have a pretense to keep doing the thing that they always wanted to do, anyways, which, again, to me at least, really seems like that's the point. But back to the story. Optimism about a potential U.S. debt ceiling deal faded after a Reuters report said that a group of Republican hardline could block the deal if it doesn't contain robust spending cuts. the U.S. hit the debt ceiling of 31.4 trillion dollars earlier this year back in January, forcing the Treasury to implement what they describe as extraordinary measures, which basically means spending down their cash balances to keep the government funding. As we told you earlier this week, that cash is almost out. They were down to less than $100 billion last time we checked, and the rate at which they spend it is pretty darn fast. Earlier this week, President Joe Biden had expressed confidence that the government would avoid an unprecedented and potentially catastrophic default under his watch. But a deal still needs to be made. Later today, Powell will speak on the Perspectives on Monetary Banking panel at a conference hosted by his own central bank. Some observers expect a hawkish talk from Powell, an outcome that will likely ensure the the end-of-the-week flows of the market remain risk-averse, which is, of course, bad for risk assets. Quote, Seems like Powell needs to take the rate hike odds up again in order to be prepared to go again in June if the debt ceiling debacle is tabled for a short-term resolution, said Craig Shapiro, a macro-advisor at Leduc Trading, tweeted in part, continuing, Data remains too good right now. End quote. Meanwhile, the stablecoin universe continues to shrink, at least in the aggregate, and until this stops, a sustained recovery in crypto prices is unlikely, tipping to fail bank JP Morgan said in a research report out yesterday. A stablecoin, of course, is a type of cryptocurrency that's pegged to another asset, such as the US dollar. Quote, headwinds from the US regulatory crackdown on crypto, the unsettling of banking networks for the crypto ecosystem, and the reverberations of last year's FTX collapse are weighing on the stablecoin universe, which continues to shrink, analysts for the big bank wrote. Despite a positive start to the year, of course, cryptocurrency prices have slumped in the past month, with the industry's overall market cap dropping from $1.26 trillion on April 13th to $1.09 trillion today. Of course, market cap is a very flawed way to look at these types of things, but it's the best metric that we have. The U.S. regulatory clampdown continues to take its toll on USD coin, better known as USDC, which has experienced a loss of stablecoin market share at the expense of Tether, the report said. Tether's dominance has been further boosted by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission or SEC's ban on rival stablecoin Binance USD or BUSD, the note added. JP Morgan analysts also say that the U.S. debt ceiling drew attention to the reserves of major stablecoins and their holdings of U.S. Treasury securities, quote, The share of U.S. Treasury securities in the reserves of major stablecoins has been increasing over time, implying a big challenge by stablecoins to maintain their pegs in an adverse scenario of a U.S. technical default, end quote. Today's crypto coverage comes courtesy of Coindesk Markets Analysts, Amkar Godblay and Will Canny. Bitcoin is currently trading at $26,929. That's up almost 1% since our show on Wednesday, while Ether is trading at $1,816 per ETH. That's up a little bit more than 1% over the same time period, according to the CoinDesk Market Index. And speaking of the Coindesk Market Index, compared against Wednesday, we are looking at a just under 1% gain across top traded tokens. On the absolute reading side, we've got a number of 1,191, and that compares against Wednesday's reading of 1,180, or again, just a little bit under a 1% gain across the those two days. Shifting to traditional markets, in the U.S., all the major indexes are higher, with the Dow Jones Industrial Average up one and three quarters percent the S&P 500 up 2.5 points, and the Nasdaq Composite up almost 3. In Europe, it's largely the same story but with lower numbers. London's FTSE 100 gained half a point, the regional stock 600 rose by 1%, while Germany's DAX is up by almost 2. In Asia, China bucked the trend, with the Shanghai Composite trading flat and the Hang Seng Index down half a point. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 saw nearly 2.5% worth of gain. In commodities markets, Brent crude, that's the global benchmark for oil, rose by more than 1% to trade at $76.58 per barrel. Gold, meanwhile, dropped by 1.5 points, currently changing hands at $1,960 per troy ounce. And in our ongoing banking crisis watch, troubled banking stock First Republic continues to see modest gains, up a penny from Wednesday's show, which translates to a more than 3% increase. It's trading at $0.38 per share, even as prices remain at less than 1% of its value compared against the start of the year. Today's Racial Markets coverage draws from Market MarketWatch The Group of Seven, so-called advanced nations, better known as the G7, must take the lead in implementing recommendations by the Financial Action Task Force, or FATF, to combat illicit financial flows through crypto. At least that's according to the president of the Global Financial Crimes Watchdog in a letter out yesterday. The strongly worded message titled, An End to the Lawless Crypto Space, was published ahead of a meeting of G7 leaders in Hiroshima, Japan, which kicked off this morning. The group's finance ministers and central bank governors have already discussed crypto regulation in a meeting last weekend and are set to reiterate their support for tougher crypto rules globally at the summit. None of this should come as a surprise to longtime listeners. They are threatened by it. These most powerful nations in the world are threatened by the concept of cryptocurrency and notably the decentralization that it brings and yet they can't really say that lest they invite the Streisand effect. Quote, Countries need to take urgent action to shut down lawless spaces, which allow criminals, terrorists, and rogue states to use crypto assets, an official said. Although analysts estimate that between 0.1% and as much as 15.4% of crypto transactions may be unlawful, the FATF has said that they believe that may be too low, or at least they desperately hope it is. Coindesk's Sunday Lee has more on this one. Elsewhere, but in a very related story, Pakistan's government has hardened its stance against cryptocurrencies, even as retailers continue to hedge their financial bets against a devaluing Pakistani rupee, partly due to the volatile political situation in the nation. Cryptocurrencies will, quote, never be legalized in Pakistan, said the nation's Minister of State for Finance and Revenue in Wednesday comments, according to a local report. The minister said that the Financial Action Task Force, which is, of course, FATF, had set a condition that cryptocurrencies will not be legalized to keep it off the international watchdog's so-called gray list, according to one local news outlet. And another said the Pakistan's stated position is because it goes against the conditions set by the FATF. It's worth noting that this watchdog has complained that more than 70% of nations have not fully complied with their demands, so this story is instructive and it shows one way they pressure other sovereign nations to adopt U.S. desired policy goals. The official also reportedly said that the nation's Central Bank, which is the State Bank of Pakistan, or SBP, and the Information Technology Ministry have been ordered to initiate work on banning cryptocurrencies entirely. In January of last year, the central bank declared that it planned to do so, its first clear position on the financial technology, according to Coindesk Reporting. Meanwhile, banks in Pakistan have started informing customers that cryptocurrency trading is illegal, at least two sources told Coindesk. As per regulatory instructions from the State Bank of Pakistan, any remittance of foreign exchange directly or indirectly outside Pakistan to overseas foreign exchange trading, margin trading, and contract-for-difference trading apps, websites, platforms through any payment channel is not allowed or permitted by the central bank, and such payments are inherently risky and illegal, said one message from Bank in Pakistan viewed by Coindesk. At the end of last month, Pakistan's Dawn newspaper reported that banks have formally warned customers against using debit or credit cards for crypto trading. But the newspaper also said that cryptocurrencies are gaining increasing popularity in the nation, with the annual trading volume for Pakistan based wallets going up to 25 billion, from between 18 to 20 million just one year ago. That's according to the country general manager at Rain Financial, a Gulf based trading platform for cryptocurrencies. This attempted ban comes at a time of political turmoil for Pakistan. Former Prime Minister Imran Khan, who was arrested last week following allegations of corruption and released just days ago after the nation's Supreme Court ruled that the arrest was unlawful, is in what's described as a tense standoff, with police, at least for the moment, outside his home. Pakistan's native currency, that's the rupee, slid 3.3% to an all-time low against the dollar of 300 units per greenback last week. That's according to Bloomberg. The growing political and financial instability has seen Pakistan retailers converting their salaries into stablecoins as a hedge, several sources told Coindesk. In other words, it's a way to opt out of a system that seems like it's in the process of collapsing, certainly at least as far as people's value stored in local currency is concerned. It's a big reason why nations do not like these technologies. They would much rather that there be no option for the people other than to use the money of their nation, which of course means that the people who run that money have a whole lot of power and more options, even as the folks who have to use the money do not. We've got more on this story, which is a bit more in-depth linked in the show notes. Turning to industry news, crypto exchange Coinbase took its zero-fee subscription service known as Coinbase One out of beta testing and expanded it from just the United States to also include the UK, Germany and Ireland. For $29.99 a month, customers apparently will not pay trading fees and also get higher staking rewards, according to a Thursday statement. That service has been in beta testing for about two years. Coinbase is aiming to further widen its international reach with plans to offer Coinbase One in 35 countries, according to communications from the company to Coindesk. This comes after CEO Brian Armstrong indicated last month that Coinbase Coinbase would consider moving away from the U.S. if the regulatory environment did not become clearer, something we've talked about often on the show. Coinbase One will also offer pre-filed tax returns to U.S. clients, access to Masari insights and analytics through a pro account, and a six-month free trial for personal crypto portfolio analytics from Cointracker. It's just the latest move from what was the first crypto exchange to go public here in the U.S., and which within two years became the obvious target for regulatory action by the very folks who approved their business in public listing at the time. Because of all those things, it remains an important story, and it's one we'll be watching. In other news, using distributed ledger technology in securities markets could create savings north of $100 billion per year, a report produced by a major traditional financial lobby group recently said. In a report published Tuesday evening, the Global Financial Markets Association, better known as the GFMA, called for regulators to allow the technology that underpins crypto to aid collateral management, asset tokenization, and sovereign bond markets. Quote, "...distributed ledger technology holds promise for driving growth and innovation," said the chief executive of the group, whose affiliates count players such as Too Big to Fail bank Morgan Chase, HSBC, and other large entities among their members. Quote, "...this potential should not be ignored or prohibited while regulatory oversight and resiliency measures already exist." They added, calling for a harmonized international framework to let DLT-based markets link up. It's another interesting report from a traditional financial group, and it's worth reading. We've got that one linked in the show notes as well. And finally, a war of words between the BlockFi Creditors Committee and the bankrupt digital asset lenders management continued in court filings published on Monday. The creditors called bankrupt BlockFi's story that it was a victim of FTX and Alameda a false case narrative, and blamed the firm's failure on poor management decisions and subsequently its restructuring agents. The Creditors Committee pointed out that in the days after the FTX collapse, when crypto markets plummet, BlockFi converted about $240 million in cryptocurrency into cash, resulting in significant financial losses and potential tax issues for customers. BlockFi then deposited the proceeds, plus an additional $10 million, into Silicon Valley Bank, which subsequently collapsed. Quote, SVB was not a depository institution of sufficient strength to meet the bankruptcy quote's protective requirements, prompting the United States trustee to object to estate money being deposited there. Creditors wrote, continuing, eventually an arrangement was reached whereby Silicon Valley Bank would post sufficient collateral in the form of a bond should there be a bank failure, end quote. All told, it's a mess. We've got more details linked in the show notes if you want to get into it. And that's our show for today. Thank you very much for listening. Today's episode was edited by Ryan. And for those of you still with us, we'd love to hear what you think. You can send us an email at podcast at coindesk.com. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a new source and does not provide investment advice.
1: Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details.